What's up, Gator Country? Man, Andrew Spivey back with Seth. Seth, man, I appreciate it again. It had a couple weeks off, but we're back and uh, got a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, that never-ending, uh, you know, drama and news cycle in uh, Florida Gators football continues. Yeah, we just want to let the news pile up a little bit, so we uh, had a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brian Johnson, now a uh, an Eagles coach, no longer with the Gators, and, uh, you know, I... I'll ask you this, you know, I've had multiple people say, you know, ask me what I thought about it. And, you know, I, there's a couple of ways to look at it, and that is, you know, Brian Johnson had some head coaching opportunities in uh, college football, uh, did not, you know, didn't get the jobs, but he, you know, multiple interviews, South Carolina, Boise State, and, you know, some people thought he may mm -hmm. even have been a candidate at uh, Central Florida with Heupel gone, um, and they were wondering, you know, why take a step down, be a quarterback coach in the NFL? My thing is, I don't know that it's a step down. I mean, and you see a lot of, you know, position coaches in the NFL becoming head coaches. So I, I don't know that it really hurts his development. No, and and I think it gives him a couple, you know, I think getting away from Mullen for him is going to help him because he still has the stigma of, oh, well, Mullen does all the work. You know, he's just, he's just, he, yeah, he runs the meetings, but Mullen's really the guy that coaches quarterbacks there. So I think getting away from Mullen kind of will help him kind of grow uh, career-wise. And then the other thing of it is he goes into Philadelphia where they had a, you know problems at quarterback last year. If he goes in there and fixes one of those guys or um, you know if they keep Carson Wentz and he fixes him or they, they start Jalen Hurts and he has a great year, he's going to be a really hot commodity, not just in college football but in the NFL as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's a – that's exactly a good point. I mean, you, you have the opportunity to, to kind of come out from under Mullen's shadows. And I, and I say that, and, and it's not a knock, but, you know, I, I, I heard this a little bit with Christian Robinson, you know, as far as, uh, you know, wanting to get out from under Todd Grantham. You know, we, we've heard, you know, and seen the, the whole T-Rob thing. I mean, it was hard for T-Rob to get a job because he was always under the, the Will Muschamp, uh, you know, you know, I say under his belt, but, you know, I mean, that's what it is. He never was away from me, so what could he do on his own? And, you know, so I think that that helps Brian Johnson to go and, you know, show what he can do with the Eagles. And like you said, I mean, how many guys, I mean, the the, Re, the Ravens wide receiver coach, you know, was the head coach of uh, Houston Texans now. So it, it shows that position coaches are not limited to becoming a head coach in the NFL or college. And, uh, and I'll say this, and, uh, you know, I don't know how many people agree with me on this, but I talked to multiple college coaches, and they say going to the NFL is now – better than ever because of the fact of having free agency in college football sucks. So I don't know that Brian Johnson ever comes back to college. I mean, he may get to the NFL and say, man, this, this game's a lot easier on the day to day. I can just do football and not worry about, you know, recruiting and all that other stuff. He may get to the NFL and say, I'm never coming back to college. Yeah. You have to be wired different to be a college coach. Now, if you just, if you're just a guy that loves football, the NFL is, is the place for you. You don't have to worry about, bringing guys in. I mean, you can be really hands off where you don't have to, you don't really don't have anything to do with the roster. You just coach the guys you have, uh, especially at the position coach level. You just coach the guys you have and you're just dedicated to football at all times. And you get, I'd imagine you get a little more time off because they have a true off season. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about if I'm out with the family on the 4th of July, I gotta, I gotta call a recruit or we might have a camp that weekend. It's you, you get a true off season. So, it's um, college football is becoming tougher and tougher, uh, but the money's going up to make up for that a little bit. So 
uh, you know, you, it's kind of both sides of the coin there. Now, Dan Mullen likes his vacation. <laughs> Let's remember, he likes his vacations around uh, around Gainesville. <laughs> but, no, I, you're right. I mean, they have a true offseason. And, and, you know, you have, you know, I mean, you have a little bit of an input. But at the end of the day, the GM and the, the front office is the guys getting you the, the – you know the players, and you got to develop them. And like you said, if he can develop Jalen Hurts into a to a really good quarterback, I mean his stock will rise. And, and I say into a really good quarterback, I think he's a good player now. But if you can really show him to be an NFL guy, uh, then man, your your stock can really rise. Yeah, uh, like like I said, if if you take Hurts, who's coming into his second year and had has showed some flashes of good stuff, but. Um, nothing you'd say, you know, you wouldn't bet on him being a superstar just yet. Or if they keep Winston, you fix him because everyone's talking about how he's broken. Either way, your stock is going to go up. And I'm sure Brian Johnson goes into his new job believing that he can do both of those things if that's what he needs to do. Um, obviously, you know, Garrett McGee is going to replace him. Uh, the former Louisville offensive coordinator was an analyst with Florida last year. Uh, he's going to be the quarterback coach. Uh, Mullen hasn't really said how the offensive coordinator titles will be divvied up, but I imagine it goes back to Hevesy and Gonzalez being co-coordinators there, but he hasn't kind of said that. Um, McGee, though, brings more experience, and, you know, I, I, I know there was a lot of people, and, you know, myself included, that was like, you know, why didn't you kind of look and see, you know, who else you can get? Um, but that's kind of what the whole analyst thing is set to be is you know kind of a minor league for your coaching staff to where you could just promote within and not have much you know growing and uh you know unfamiliarity with your program so in a way it's kind of what it was set up for in mcgee's you know resume it speaks for itself i mean he has a good resume um it's a good quarterback coach there so i don't think that you know it's a bad hire at all um you know was there you know, some reservations about it, saying he should have went and got somebody else. Yes, and, and that certainly is the case, but he brought McGee on for a reason, thinking highly of him, promoting him. He has the ability to coach quarterbacks, and Dan Mullen's going to also do that. Yeah, he he, he's, he was in the building, so he knows kind of how this guy works, how he fits. Um, so, he, like you said, he got a really good look at him, and I think that he the fact that he's promoting him shows that he feels very confident in his ability to do uh, the job of coaching the quarterbacks. And like you said, he's got a lot of experience in the past in the SEC and other Power 5 conferences. Uh, I think he's got, even got a little bit of NFL experience. Um, but he was the – I think he was the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator at Arkansas when they finished – it seems like a long time ago now when you say it, but they finished like 12 and then number five one year. Um, and they had some really good offenses and made uh, – I think they made BCS Bowl and the Cotton Bowl in back-to-back years. So He made Matt Jones look decent. And that, yeah. That, what, yeah, that wasn't the name, right? What was they, had, uh, they had Mallet, I think, at that time. Ryan Mallet was his okay. guy. Okay, it wasn't the uh, the kid that turned into the quarter. I mean, the receiver in the NFL. What, no, I wasn't, I wasn't that early, I don't think. Wasn't it Matt but, Jones uh, with, with McFadden and those guys? Wasn't, wasn't, yeah, Matt Jones was a freak of nature, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, like you said, he, he's done it. I mean, he's... He's had the ability, and, uh, you know, the, the question is and always is is how they're going to do in recruiting, and, and we'll see, uh, you know, we'll, you know, he's already starting to offer a lot of kids and, you know, doing a lot of, uh, you know, recruiting, and, you know, it seems like he has a uh, ability to connect the kids. It, it does seem like he has a little bit different of a recruiting board uh, than, uh, than Brian Johnson did with Dan Mullen, and that'll be interesting because you had thought it would have been, you know, kind of Dan Mullen's board as well, uh, but 
but it, he is. He's offering you know some other kids, some some more pro style kind of quarterbacks. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see how that differs from it. Uh, I don't think you see much of a change next year. Uh, I, you know, I said it from day one. You know, I don't worry about quarterbacks of Dan Mullen. I just I, that's not that. There's a lot to to worry about with Dan Mullen, and there's a lot to worry about in recruiting. Quarterback position is not one of them. No, they've uh, they've shown the ability to take what they've got and and turn it into uh, guys you can win with. So I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too much about that. Uh, what do you kind of know about him? About McGee? Yes. Just I rem- I remember him being um you know kind of like why did Brian Johnson leave? Well, I remember McGee being kind of paired at the hip with Petrino. Um, I remember hearing about him back when Arkansas was rolling a little bit. Arkansas did a lot of a lot of interesting stuff with. I think there were a lot of eleven personnel, if I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember watching some stuff on him, some clinic stuff on him explaining their passing game, very pro style, um, some kind of West Coast stuff in there. Um, you know, I, I I just when I heard the name, I'm, that's kind of what I thought back to. I hadn't been keeping up with him, kind of what he's been doing recently. But I know he was with Petrino at Louisville. I think he had some type of um, interaction with Lamar Jackson there at Louisville and I know and then I kind of remember the Arkansas stuff in the past when they really had it rolling there and uh finished top five in the country which is a long way away from where they are now so that's kind of what that's kind of what I remembered when I when I read the name and I've just kind of been reading up on him see he's kind of been bouncing around a little bit since then but uh he's he's had some really good offenses and really good quarterbacks in the past so you, you think he knows how to coach the position a little bit for you know Bobby Petrino, for every issue he has on the off the field, he's a pretty good football coach. Yes, pretty good football coach. Uh, really knows quarterback position as well. Really knows offense as well. So you know if he you know he has that like you said that kind of you know stigma about him a little bit that he's been with Petrino a lot. And you know I don't have an issue with that. You know I I like Petrino. You know uh, what he does on the field, off the field. I mean hey, he likes women. I mean. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and, and he used to like motorcycles. So yeah, he used like, to like motorcycles. Getting beat up. I wonder if his eyes ever recovered and his head's ever recovered. But uh, I don't know. Where's he even at now? I think he's at some like Missouri D two school or something like that. Yeah, I remember that now. Some school, but yeah. Um, so I, again, you know, I, I don't. I don't doubt his his background, McGee. That is, and um, I, I don't doubt that. And and the thing is, is I I know, uh, you know, from Dan Mullen's past, he's not going to just have anybody working with quarterbacks. And um, you know, that's his that's his baby, and uh, that's something he's going to always treasure. And you know, he's going to always you know be on top of and recruiting himself. So I don't I don't look at it as a bad thing at all. And I, you know, a bunch of kids have already talked highly of him in recruiting. So uh, I'm all for it. You know. And as far as calling plays goes, it was always a four-man show. And when I say a four-man show, it was always Brian Johnson, uh, Hevesy, Billy, and Dan all kind of game-planning together. Um, And at the end of the day, Dan has the final say on the play call. So um, who, you know, comes up with the first play call up in the press box on Saturdays, I don't know who that'll be. Uh, But, again, I don't. That doesn't worry me and concern me. I say that, you know, as far as Dan Mullen goes, the offensive coordinator is simply a, a, a name. That's a title. That's a title for him. You know, it's kind of like being a defense coordinator Nick Saban. It's a title. I mean, you're not you're not running the defense. You're not running the offense of Florida. Yeah, and and I, I don't think people realize that play calling is, is a lot more collaborative than, and not in every instance, but in most instances, play calling is a lot more collaborative. A lot of, a lot of the coaches have input. They suggest things. 
maybe they have one guy that calls him, you know, when he wants to call him. So maybe Mullen's like, hey, I need a run play. And then Heavisy says, oh, I think we should be running this. Or, you know, what do you like next drive run run game? And, and somebody will suggest something, then whoever's calling the play in will, will pick when to call that play. But it's a little more collaborative than um, I think people realize. Um, at least, uh, and I think it seems that way at Florida on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, I don't know. Who knows what's going on over there? But um, Hey, they don't even know yet. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll find out a little bit, I guess. If it, if it don't look different at all, maybe it's not too collaborative on that side. But <laughs> yeah. Offensively, I think you're, it's going to look probably pretty similar. Right. I think McGee will probably add in some different ways of looking at things, some new ideas, because he comes from a different kind of tree, um, especially in the passing game. I think he's a little bit different than Mullen, uh, but it'll bring uh, a new set of eyes that's had a lot of success in the past. So I don't I don't necessarily think it's a bad hire. I think it's uh, – you know, it'll probably work out pretty well, I'd imagine. Well, here's the thing, and, and, and you and I have talked about this a lot in the past, but pros down, spread offense, at the end of the day, it's all becoming one. And yeah. and I say that in because you look last year at Florida's offense. That was a pro-style offense. That's what it yeah. was. That was a pro-style offense. The only difference is, is he's taking snaps and shotgun than under center. But nowadays, outside, outside of a select few teams in the NFL – how many guys take a snap under center? Kansas City in the Super Bowl probably took ten snaps or less under center. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not, you don't have to be under center anymore. People are understanding that they can just, if they want to, some of the same run game stuff, you can just bump up to the pistol. Um, or you know, people are passing so much they don't need the run game to be quite as diverse as it's been in the past. But you can figure it out. There's ways to do it. So, yeah, it, it's all kind of melding together into one thing. So it's not going to be uh, – what he's going to come in is not going to be stuff that these guys have never heard of before. Florida's been running some of it. Like, you know, um, Arkansas used to run a lot of drive concept. Florida ran drive a lot last year. So it, it's not going to be anything crazy. But it's just a different way of looking at things. Maybe some different uh, – maybe a couple different wrinkles he can add in. So I, I think it's a good thing. Just added in a new set of eyes there. Yeah, I mean, you know, the – you know, always hear, well, you can't play action in the shotgun as good as you can under center. That's crazy. As long as the quarterback understands, you know, his ability to sell the run, hold the run, hold the linebacker's eyes for a split second, it's play action. It's play action. It's play action. At the end of the day, your your whole reason of running play action is to deceive the, the defense, and you deceive the defense by your motion, your ability, your ability to deceive them. That's it. If the quarterback is good at it, that's it. And, you know, is it, does it look the same? No, it doesn't. But at the end of the day, it's the same concept. You know, I always joke and people always, you know, ask me about it. You know, uh, Urban Meyer runs the wishbone. He just runs it in the, in the shotgun. That's, that's wishbone concept in the shotgun. And, you know, and I know you've heard this as well. And, you know, I've had coaches tell me offenses never go away. They just evolve into different things. And, you know, you look at the, the zone read, that's, that's old wishbone offense. That's what it is. RPO is triple option. Just the pitch fans five yards downfield. Now it's, it's all, you know, they just take the ideas and advance them a little bit. And then eventually we'll come back around to, more two tight end power run game stuff. It'll come back, but yeah. um, right now we're you know we're just kind of in a new age triple option with the RPO stuff, and and that's kind of become your play action too. So hey, all right, well we'll just RPO it, and then if you don't show up for the run, we'll hand it off to the back, and now he's got a crease that he can run through. So right. 
The, yeah, they figured out ways around it being the shotgun. It's still, it's you're still putting defenses in a bind. Right. You're still doing the same thing. It's just it just looks different, and that that's it. It's the same concepts. You know, the the offense doesn't it hasn't changed. You know, very much. I mean, it's still you know the, the same thing. I mean, the you know everyone. Yeah, everyone jokes about, well, you know, Army and Navy, their offenses suck with the wishbone. Yeah, ask defenses about that. They'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, I was I was that, um, you know, I, I heard USF try to get ready for uh, Navy. Uh-huh. And it, it's not easy, man. It's tough. It's a tough week. It's totally different than normal. Uh, you 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 got to pull yourself out. You got one week to turn it around. It's it's uh, It's tough. We played a team every year. They were triple option team. Big team, too. Our offensive line was huge. But they throw the ball. Well, we played them one time. They threw the ball seven times in the game. Um, but when I say they were masterful with the triple option, the you know just the basic fullback dies back then, that's what it was. And it was such a pain in the ass to get your guys ready, and especially because usually it would come after we were playing a five-wide team. So we would go from full-blown, five-wide spread offense to old-school wishbone. And you were trying to tell your linebackers, you know, you'd go from telling your linebackers, hey, you're going to read this slot receiver to now, hey, you read that fullback. <laughs> and yeah. it, it did. It, it was a pain in the butt. But, you know, and that and it goes back to the point, and that is, you know, if you're running your offense and, and Mullen's offense – the way it is, and McGee's, you know, adding a wrinkle to it, you only make yourself more difficult. You know, I, there, there is the possibility, and, and, you know, you can't have too many, you know, different, you know, chefs in the kitchen there, but more ideas, the better, you know, and, and that's even, you know, I, that's one thing I liked on defense with the McGriff hire was McGriff brings a different, you know, philosophy. He brings a different idea. He brings a different, you know, outlook on the defense that can't help Grantham. Now, I don't know whether Grantham will adjust or not. I mean, you you hope so when you're, you know, this successful in college football. And, you know, any coach will tell you the more ideas and the more you can evolve, the better you are. I mean, you know, some of the best cornerback coaches used to play offense because they understand it. Some of the best wide receiver coaches are former corner coaches. You know, you see so many quarterback coaches now that are, are former quarterbacks that are wide receiver coaches because they understand it. So you're always trying to evolve in this game. And, uh, you know, the more eyes and the more, you know, opinions you get, the better off you will be. And the better off you will be, you know, long-term, even when McGee moves on for Dan Mullen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Brian Johnson was kind of a new face to the crew, but – He'd been with them in the past, so this is kind of bringing somebody totally different. But they have the knowledge of knowing that he will work and fit because he was there last year as an analyst. So I think it's a, it's a, it's an easy way to get that outside wrinkle coming in without disrupting what you have like chemistry wise on the staff because you know this guy fits in. So I think uh, it's people kind of felt underwhelmed a little bit, but I think it's going to end up being a pretty good hire. Yeah, I mean, and, and I was like I said, I was one of those that was like, man, there was a some guys you could have went and got, and, you know, maybe they'd end up being better, and, uh, you know, and then I went back, and I was like, you know, I talked to some people about McGee, and I kind of went back and did some homework on him, too, and I'm like, man, this this isn't really that bad of a hire, and, you know, again, he's kind of in that minor league of, of, of coaches, excuse me, and so he understands. He was in every one of the offensive meetings last year. That's what analysts do, because he's yep. preparing, you know, while – while Billy and, you know, Mullen and those guys are looking at, you know, LSU tape, 
uh, McGee was already looking at Alabama tape, so he was ready to go, you know, so he knew the ins and outs of the game plan as good, if not better, than Dan Ball and those guys because he worked on it for multiple weeks at a time. And, you know, and that goes for all those analysts that are there. I mean, that's their job. I mean, I'll, they don't get the coach on the field because it's against the rules right now. They don't get to recruit. So the only thing they're doing is watching film all day long. And, you know, that's the coach's dream, uh, most people's dream. <laughs> I'd love to just sit down and watch film all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, and So if you like some of the game plans you saw last year, I'm sure Garrick McGee had a hand in some of those because he said, "Hey, this is what this team's running. I watched them. This is their tendencies, you know, you know." And then, then the game plan gets formulated from there. But he probably had a, he probably had a hand in some of these game plans. So it's not like you're bringing in somebody totally new that doesn't know what's going on. He probably had an impact last year that we didn't even realize. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's move on. Uh, Gators landed the big tight end Eric Gilbert from LSU. Uh, he uh, announced he's going to transfer to Florida and. You know, I had some people say, well, does that mean Florida doesn't believe in the guys they have on campus now at tight end? And the answer is no, they, they do believe in those guys. But when you get a, a talent like Eric Gilbert, you take him every every day and twice on Sundays. I mean, the guy is an explosive playmaker. He is a true mismatch. And that's nothing against, you know, Gamble. That's nothing against Keon Zipper. But Eric Gilbert brings something different to the table than every one of those guys. Eric... Uh, uh, Zipper is, you know, I said it, he's more of an H-back kind of guy. Kamora Gamble is more of a, you know, a, a get-me-three-yards kind of guy. Gilbert's one of those guys that can go get you 50. Uh, take a pass that's two yards, make a guy miss and get you 50 like Kyle Pitts. Uh, it's a big pickup. I mean, that's the only thing to say. Uh, you know, to say, well, you know, Florida didn't need a tight end. Nah, nah, they didn't need a tight end, but they needed a weapon that people were going to come into every game and fear. That's Eric Gilbert. Yeah, this guy, I think he's the only tight end to ever win Gatorade National Player of the Year. Um, I, I don't know if people realize he is just a monstrous human being. He is a big dude. Um, you listen to the LSU people talk about him last year, and they're like, this guy is runs like a receiver. He runs routes like a receiver. You know, I watched a video of them talking about him at camp. They're like, I don't think he's dropped a ball yet in camp. He's a freak of nature. I've heard uh, other recruiting experts say he's the most impressive guy they've ever seen in person. He He's a big dude that can run. Anytime you can get those type of guys in your program, you take it. And he had some production last year at LSU. He's probably the closest thing to Kyle Pitts in college football. Right. So I think he's he's a he's a guy they can they flex him out at receiver sometimes. They they played him in line. He's not going to be Kyle Pitts. I don't think you want to put that kind of pressure on anybody, but this guy is uh, he's a different kind of dude, and he can create some of those same matchup problems. And that's probably the next thing I'm going to do for the site is probably looking at, hey, look at him. and Here's how Florida used Kyle Pitts last year. Look at the kind of same stuff Eric Gilbert did at LSU in, in high school and kind of how he can kind of just slide right into that Kyle Pitts role. He's a, he's a big pickup. I think he's going to be a difference maker from day one. Well, and, and I think he was, and I need to go back and look at this because I, I I don't I don't follow recruiting records. I just don't. I, it's just I, I don't for many reasons, and we can get into that another day. But I believe he was the highest ranked tight end ever. Yeah. Um, and I mean that's a big honor. I mean you've had some great guys come through there. Um, and you know, and again I say this because you know you look at next year's team. You know, Xavier Henderson he has the ability to become that guy. Jacob Copeland has the ability to become that guy. Um. You know, Frazier's has the ability to become that guy. But, you know, when you looked at last year's team, every game you came in, you knew you better stop Tony 
and you better stop Pitts. Heading into this year, I don't know that there was one guy that you had to circle on your piece of paper as an opposing coach that said you had to stop this guy. Now, when you go into next game, next year, every game you come into this game, you got to circle Eric Gilbert and say, i got to stop this guy. That opens up things for everything. I mean, you looked at last year's uh, you know, games without Kyle Pitts. The offense was totally different. Because you didn't have that, you know, they were able to just take away Tony. And you didn't have that guy that was a big, big guy to just throw it to. That's Gilbert. You know, when Kyle Pitts is there and it's third and seven, boom. You spread him out to his side by himself, isolate him, throw the slant. You're not stopping it. That's Eric Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah, you saw, and and like I said, I'll probably get something up for the site so people can see this. But they there were times it's like third down, need a third down at LSU last year. They flex him out. At, they just flex him out at receiver, basically one on one, run a slant. He wins easily, easy first down. He's uh, he is a talented dude, and I don't think people kind of realize how big of a get this is that haven't been kind of paying attention. But he is he is going to be another big weapon. You add him to the other transfer, Demarcus Bowman, and now you've kind of restocked a little bit on offense there, where there were some question marks, and and you got two stud five-star, all-everything recruiting guys that uh, are coming in to fill those voids. So I think it's a, a definitely a big get, and uh, I'm sure Kyle Pitts helped a little bit uh, with landing that recruit. Yeah, he did. I mean, he, he called him. I mean, he called uh, Pitt, uh, Gilbert a lot and talked to Gilbert a lot um, and, you know, told him and explained to him. But, you know, the other thing is this. You kept him away from Georgia. Yes. I mean, that's it. You were, be, you were battling Georgia. So did you want to go against him or have him on your team? You want him on your team every day of the week. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you look at the – you go back to Gronkowski in the Super Bowl. Guy's unstoppable. I mean, it just is what it is. You know, Travis Kelsey, unstoppable. I mean, it's just big tight ends nowadays. There, there's no answer to them. Safeties are, are too small. Uh, linebackers are too slow. Corners are too small. There's nobody to yeah. guard them. Yeah, big tight ends uh, paired with creative play callers are really tough to stop, especially when – they can block a little bit, and Gilbert showed uh, that he could block a little bit in line too. So he's not just a guy you have to flex out because he's a tall, skinny dude. He's like a 230, 240, 250-pound grown man-looking dude out there that will get in line and block too. So he is going to be a matchup nightmare, I'd imagine. And then pairing him with the creativity that Florida has on the offensive staff I think should result in a pretty good year for him. First off the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you call Eric Gilbert. He's he he uh, he's first off the bus and plays like first off the bus. He's not you know yeah. looks like Tarzan plays like Jane kind of guy. But yeah. um, I wanted to you know got a few minutes left here. I wanted to get into a little bit of spring ball. Uh, obviously, we still got about a month left of spring ball here. I mean, before spring ball gets going, and you know this is the time that staff is spending on you know getting guys conditioned and that kind of stuff. But um, you know, I just I, we'll we'll talk here for about ten minutes. Just you know. It's big for these coaches. I mean, we just spent 20 minutes talking about McGee, but it, this is a big spring for McGee. McGee's going to be able to help Emory and, and Anthony Richardson and, and even the two young guys, in, uh, Carlos Del Rio Wilson and uh, Kitna, Jalen Kitna. Uh, but, I, you know, I think especially with Emory, he's going to be able to show Emory some new things that, you know, Brian Johnson and Dan Mullen haven't and, um, you know, be able to help him. And, well, I mean, let's just call it like it is. This is huge. The, the, this next year's team depends on how well Emory or Anthony Richardson become because right now both are you know 
unknowns. I mean, we know we kind of know what you're going to get from Emory, but I don't think I don't think Florida is comfortable with what they have at Emory. I don't think they're comfortable with what they have at Anthony Richardson. They need them to continue to improve and continue to evolve as quarterbacks. And so again, that's a big thing for me with McGee in this spring. Uh, you know, and, and you know, even this time before the spring, as they're meeting and that kind of stuff, just getting on the same page. Yeah, and then um, you know one one great thing that's been on the site recently is kind of the exit interviews with former players, and you're kind of asking them what do you, the offensive guys have been asked. You know, what do you think about uh, the quarterback situation? And a lot of those guys, kind of everyone they've asked so far, has has felt like Emory seems like the guy that's ready to go, but that Anthony Richardson will probably probably play a little bit too. They'll kind of use the packages so. But it's important for both those guys, man. Like you said, that's kind of going to be the offense is going to go kind of as the quarterback position goes, I think, because I don't you, you don't imagine that you'll have this dominant offensive front. Um, maybe they'll be improved, but you know, last year Kyle Trask hit a lot of flaws because of how good he was. So those guys are going to have to step up and play, and um, you know they'll kind of go offensively if those guys go. So they need them to step up, and then I think on the other side of the ball is where. You know, they said that not having spring last year really hurt them and put them behind the eight ball because they didn't have, uh, I don't, I don't know. I guess they didn't feel like they had, a, they needed some more time with those guys to kind of get stuff installed with the younger guys. Well, now they're going to have that time. So is that, you know, they're going to take that step forward defensively now that they have this springtime to get stuff installed with the new coaches and everything like that. So spring will definitely be um, int- an interesting kind of. Uh, process for this team is going to be really important to see kind of where this team ends up next year. Yeah, and uh, again, uh, you know, talking defense, you know, with Jules and uh, and those guys, uh, uh, McGriff. I mean, it's going to be big because you're going to have the opportunity for them to kind of put their uh, put their stamp on things and you know mark what they want to do. Um, you know, I, I think that definitely on the defensive side of the ball. They've got to get some confidence. They got to get some swagger about them. They got to get some grit and you know some toughness about them that just simply wasn't there last year. And I think McGriff's gonna definitely demand that. I mean, he's an old school, in your face kind of guy who guys respect, and he, and he's gonna demand that. And uh, you know, I said this on the last podcast, I think. And you know, you want your you want your DBs to be the cockiest most swag guys on the team. You, you just do. They're on an island. They're by themselves. They're always isolated. You know, you, I, did Marco Wilson and, you know, those guys make you mad when they, you know, throw their hands up for incomplete? Sure they do. But guess what? A defensive back that don't have confidence in himself is a bad defensive back. Yeah, you're, you're on an island. you got to be that kind of guy to be constantly stuck. And then if something bad happens, you got to get out of your mind and go on to the next play. It takes a different kind of dude to be able to do that. And uh, you need that kind of swagger, that kind of confidence. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen a defensive back that didn't have confidence? That was good? No. Not really. I was just trying to think. Who's a quiet – who's the like Julio Jones of defensive backs? The only one – I asked a couple people. I'm like, because who is it? Because we talked about it last time. Yeah. The only one somebody could bring up to me in like the last 30 years was Champ Bailey. Yeah, but Champ even had a little bit. But yeah, but he he even taught a little. He just did, he was kind of sly with it. Yeah, he was kind of sly with it. But yeah. like you look like the last ten years, I don't think you can name one. Can you name a, a good no. defensive? I mean Richard Sherman, tough? pain in the ass. You know. Yeah, like I, you know, I'm saying you know you you look at some of these DBs that you that you think about and you know it's it's like man those guys are just you know jerks man they're, they're, you hate them you hate them if they're yeah. if they're if you're playing against them and you love them if you're on your t- if you're on your team you know it'll always say this about you know Chauncey Gardner 
and you know he 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 goes overboard, and there's no doubt about it. He he even makes his own team mad at times, but he does such a good job of pissing off the opposing team that it gets in their heads sometimes. I mean, look, he had two players ejected this year from the Bears because they hit him because he got in their head, and you know, and it was jacking them up, and you know that's. You know, that's what you want. You know, I, I say this about Kyrie Elam. I would love to see some emotion out of Kyrie Elam. I, I hardly ever see any out of Kyrie Elam. And, and, you know, I would love for him to trash talk a little bit and, you know, let it be known how good he is. But I, that's a mindset. And I think McGriff's going to put that mindset in there that, hey, show your confidence. Show your ability to play ball. Yeah. And uh, and you'll definitely get that from Jules. Uh, USF guys were really cocky. They didn't cover people. <laughs> Some of those guys they had didn't cover people too well and got put on the bench uh, for young dudes. But those guys had some confidence. So I, I think you're gonna get um, you're gonna get some of that back. Maybe some of that swagger back. Some of that kind of talking back. Um, and that that's coupled with just having confidence in yourself and confidence in what you're doing. You know, it's tough to feel real confident if you're going out there and you don't know what you're doing. You see guys like like we saw a lot last year, not getting lined up, not knowing to line up. Well, it's tough to be confident when you're not even sure where to line up. So this spring, I think, with the new coaches, getting all that kind of stuff fixed will go a long way towards seeing that kind of swagger come back to the defensive backfield. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a big spring, so we'll get into that more, um, you know, as the coming weeks come here as, um, before we get into spring ball. But, uh, Seth, any final thoughts before we get out of here? My only question to you, and I think this is something that people will want to know because of all the hand-wringing and stuff when people got hired. How are the new guys recruiting? Yeah, I mean, you know, McGee, McGee's offered his guys, you know, and, and, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier in that, you know, he's recruiting some different guys. And, you know, Nick Evers is a kid, uh, Cade uh, Klubnick from Texas. Those are two guys um, that are he's after. Sam Horn's a kid from Georgia that he's after. And, you know, he's after more of these pro-style guys. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if that if that's kind of where they want to go more so. Uh, with it, or do they feel like they have enough dual-threat guys on campus and they want to get a true pro-style guy there? Um, so it'll be interesting, but I mean, so far, McGee's done a good job of getting Florida in the mix for those guys and, and getting them in the mix very quickly. Um, as far as Jules and, you know, McGriff go, uh, you know, things are going well there. Uh, you know, you didn't have as much offering uh, from those guys just because, you know, Torian Gray had done a good job of offering most of the top-rated kids in that 2022 class. Um, but it does seem to, you know, be that guys like him. You know, Trey Donaldson's a, a big athlete, DB kind of kid from Tallahassee, and he loves McGriff and Jules. Um, Devin Wilson down in Naples, he, he loves Jules as well. You know, he's been recruited by him at USF. And so, you know, it seems like the guys like them a lot and, you know, are starting to lean there. Only thing I say in – I, you know, we got to talk about it. I mean, now it looks like the dead period is going to be extended through the end of May. And, you know, it sucks because, yeah. you you know, a guy like Jules, for instance, a lot of guys, the top-rated guys, didn't visit him at USF. No. You would love to see them on campus with him. You know, even McGee, you know, he's been out of the game, you know, a couple years. You'd love to get them on campus with them. Now, you know, you can learn a little bit through Zoom and all that, but it's nothing like getting them in person. So I think in a way that kind of hurts their ability to kind of really get their full effect on recruiting. But I do think early on the, the reviews are very positive for all three of the new guys. Well, that's good. So everyone got – everyone went crazy, hopefully for nothing. Hopefully these guys pick it up and – uh and kind of and can be those recruiters that this staff was missing. But so far, good returns early. Uh, here's the thing for me, and I don't mean this as any slight. 
but you couldn't have gotten no worse on, on defense. <laughs> you, you couldn't have. I mean, Gray and, and, and English were not very good there. Um, you know, with Brian Johnson, McGee's got some big shoes to fill. Brian yeah. Johnson was a good recruiter. And he was a really good recruiter in Miami. And Tim Brewster was going to take over recruiting down there in most of Miami, so you're good with that. Um, but, again, I don't worry about quarterback recruiting with Dan Mullen. I just don't. You know, there's a lot of things I worry about with recruiting. But quarterback recruiting just doesn't concern me. No. I mean, uh, I, I think recruiting is obviously very important, but some of it's um, overblown. It's really these guys are – it's good to hear that they're – being well received already because it's really just about building those relationships. Some they'll be able to bring some of the ones they had from their previous jobs, but that's kind of what it is. And it's, so it's good to hear that these guys are able to kind of build those relationships. Those guys seem to be well received, and that's that's a good that's kind of as good as you can do coming out the gates with everything that's going on right now. So yeah, I mean you know just get the dead period over. <laughs> oh Lordy, well Seth, yeah. what you got coming up on the site? Uh, I think I'm going to do something next uh, week or so on Eric Gilbert and uh, kind of how Florida used Kyle Pitts. So it'll be a little bit looking back at last year to kind of see all the different ways Florida used Kyle Pitts and kind of what how they did that schematically and, and how they would get him open so much when, when people would have to concentrate on him a lot. And then, okay, let's show kind of what, what can Eric Gilbert do? Like, does he do some of those similar things? And he, spoiler alert, he does some similar stuff. So we're going to kind of look at what he did last year at LSU, maybe even in high school, and and just kind of see what kind of player he is and what you can expect from the tight end position with him playing there. Great, great, great. Good stuff. All right, Seth, man, we appreciate it. And we'll be back uh, next week as we continue to talk some spring ball. Maybe we'll hit on just the offense next week, and then the next week we can hit on defense. And I'm sure there will be something pop up in the news that we'll have to talk about. So, uh, Seth, appreciate it, man. And uh, we will uh, be waiting on the uh, Eric Gilbert story. All right, sounds good.